0: Hello and welcome. you found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. Today's podcast is the second in a two-part series with Mary Rocktest talking about measurement. In today's podcast, we talk about the difference between measurement in the field and measurement in research settings. We talked about some of the challenges social workers have using measurement because of training. And we talked about some ideas that might be useful for schools of social work who are interested in incorporating measurement into classes other than research. We also talked about some resources that social workers can follow up on. We ended with some ideas on how social workers can really develop their own measures and, and think about measurement as a tool for improving their own practice in the field. In part one of this series on measurement, Mary and I talked about how she became interested in measurement, the purpose key concepts of measurement, including reliability, validity, and error, and what to look for in a research article when thinking about measurement. Without further ado, on to the interview with Mary and measurement. Without further ado, on to the interview with Mary and measurement. Mary, in the first part of our conversation, we were talking about what was the purpose of measurement, what were some of the key concepts in understanding measurement, and we talked a little bit about measurement in research settings versus, you know, the field, but I I was wondering, are there differences between measurement for research and measurement that clinicians would use in the field? There are differences,
1: but there are also similarities, regardless of the purpose, if it's for clinical practice or if it's for research, you want the measures that you use to have good psychometric properties and internal consistency, for example, is important. The reliability piece I talked about earlier. If they've been used in other studies, what have people found? For clinical reasons, I would, I would always look for something that is brief with clear language and that's comprehensive but not redundant. For example, when we began to reconceptualize restriction in the restrictiveness of living environment scale, the roles, one of the things that people said to us fairly, very clearly when we talked to clinicians and practitioners about it was, absolutely, this needs to be revised, we need something new, but don't change it, which sounds like it is a contradictory message. But what they were saying to us is, this is short, we can do it very quickly. It's in language we understand. It's not redundant, so don't change that piece of it. Um, And it makes sense to us. It has face validity for us. And so for practice measures, I would always look for something that wasn't overly redundant, was short, precise. And oftentimes that's why in clinical practice, you see measures oftentimes like the C-gas for children, the uh, clinical uh, general assessment of functioning scale, um, which is actually, a, a, you're, you're I believe, going from zero to 100 and coming up with a number, and it covers many things, actually. It's functioning. It's rather general. Um, you oftentimes will see these sort of general measures being used in clinical practice because it gives people... Uh, sort of a place to put a stake, so to speak. This is what I think I'm seeing overall in this child or this adult's functioning. In research, oftentimes you have measures that might be more redundant. Uh, because you're interested in generating new knowledge uh, and less about using information to make decisions, you might see longer measures, multi-item uh where you might have 106 items about something. Doing 106 items in the field would be very time consuming and most clinicians won't do it. But in a research setting, where you have perhaps more time and it's not being used to make decisions about clinical care or effectiveness of care, then people might be more willing to do this. And it's really about generating knowledge as the purpose. When I think about um, using measurement for clinical practice, it's really about three things. One is decision support. Using the information to make appropriate decisions at key points. Okay, so I'm using this REMY, for example, to determine whether or not this child can move up a level, uh, because they've been here for two months. I'm using it for outcomes monitoring. When they leave, I want to see whether or not they're leaving to an environment that is again, less restrictive, perhaps, than the one that they came from. And then I might, the third purpose for for me would be I'd like to use it for quality monitoring. How well, how sensitive is this to programmatic change? Does it tell me if my program overall is doing well or if it's not? And so the, the utility piece of it. For me, measurement in clinical practice is really about decision support, outcomes monitoring, and quality monitoring. And um, if you're interested in this area, there's actually a very good book that addresses this in more detail by John Lyons and Dana Werner. It's a chapter in an edited book by uh, Mark Murash called uh, Measurement as Communication and Outcomes Management. And so in this case, they're talking about the utility of measurement for clinical practice.
0: Okay. And we can put a link to that Mm -hmm. book on the uh, Social Work Podcast website at socialworkpodcast.com. So it sounds like those are a couple of important differences. When I have worked with measures, Uh, this issue of face validity has come up. I'll sit there and I'll say, you know what? These questions have nothing to do with the kids that I'm working with. Or... This is great, but what do I do with it? Then it sounds like that's really important because if you have a measure that was created for the creation of knowledge, and somebody has told you to use it in your agency as a clinical measure, there could be a big disconnect.
1: Yes, the best, Not that that mm-hmm. ever happens, of course. Oh, never, 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 never. never, never. never. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jonathan, actually, I have a wonderful quote from uh, a parent. Uh, about one measure that we were using, and she said, "This is great. This just doesn't tell me what's wrong, but it tells me what needs to happen." And that, I believe, sort of encapsulates this whole idea about measures—the utility of it. It's just oftentimes measures used for research purposes um, aren't necessarily telling you what to do with it. They're just—they are operationalizing depression or. Uh, oppositional beh- opposition, et cetera, but measures that are designed with the end in use, decision support, effectiveness, you know, of treatment and quality monitoring have that end in mind, and they may look different and are are focused on that idea. It tells me what to do. It gives me some guidance about what to do, and so I believe that when those when parents, families, clinicians have the opportunity to use those kinds of measures, they're much more likely to use them because it gives them um, sort of the map. Now on the other hand, I will tell you that that's not necessarily uh, something that happens, it doesn't happen automatically. People need a little bit of training to do that. People need some help in Unfortunately, what happens is people perhaps will use a measure with someone and then they'll put it in the record and they'll go on to write whatever they were going to plan to write anyway for their treatment plan. And so people actually need to be coached about how to take that. Again, if it's a tool that was really designed for clinical decision making and for outcomes monitoring, they need some help in taking that and translating it into goals into a
0: plan. I'm thinking back when I worked in Austin, and we had to do the Child Behavior Checklist Oh the yes. box, CBCL. CBCL, and it was 113 items, and that was always fun, and um, we had our uh, administrative assistants who could score it, and there was usually a one-week turnaround time. And I don't think anybody ever used the CBCL as part of treatment planning. It was a, a regulation. We had to get it at intake and then again at 90 days. Although I'm not sure that the CBCL was normed for 90 days. I think it was actually six months, mm-hmm. which is another issue. Yes, it is. Using a measure differently than what it has been uh, tested for. The the second issue that it brings up is is you, so there's, there's this agency issue. Um, how fast can measures be turned around? How fast can you get the information? How to use it? But the other thing is that My experience is that schools of social work don't train social workers on administering assessments or the interpretation of assessments. That's really seen as a psychology thing and 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 so there's a there's a disconnect again in what you're saying about if you're out in the field and it's not just like you know one on one your traditional therapy, but you're working in residential treatment facility you're working in inpatient you're doing case management it sounds like there are measures that can be used, but these are not things that schools of social work actually train folks to do. <laughs>
1: I agree with you. I think that education and psychology are actually, schools of education and schools of psychology, are much better at training students in that, in that area. For example, I have a master's degree in education, and we had two classes on testing, uh, and just not traditional testing in terms of IQ testing, but also uh, a full range of testing from career testing to um, testing for depression, um, anxiety, etc. So that's a part of the curriculum. I, I would agree with you, Jonathan. My experience is that there's much less emphasis put on this in social work, historically. And what happens is people come out to practice in the field and they learn it on the job. But they don't always learn it very well on the job because there often is not the time to learn. And so what typically happens, having worked in um, a provider setting for many years as a director of research. What happens is that this gets rolled into training perhaps on treatment plans, which are often very much dictated by funders. And so it gets much less emphasis. People learn it in the field, but they, it really doesn't receive the time that it deserves. And I've done, for example, recently some interviews with child welfare workers about how they make decisions. And I find it really interesting that very few of them mentioned how they use a risk assessment matrix in making decisions. And so.
0: And is this risk assessment matrix something that they're required to do? Yes. Or they're trained in using? Oh,
1: they're very much. They are required to do and has extensive, actually has extensive training. And so it makes me wonder if decision making processes, and this is a fascinating area and beyond the scope of this podcast, but how we can help people change this, the scheme of how they make decisions to include measurement as a source of information. One piece, but not the only piece, obviously a lot of things come into play. I'm finding out their their past, what they know from the past, what how they were raised, what they've learned in school, but also this piece of information that they've collected in a systematic way so that that becomes more natural in the decision-making process because I don't think it happens naturally all the time. And then if people don't learn it in their master's programs and they learn it sort of haphazardly in the field, I, I just don't think it gets used very very well. As you mentioned, what happens is you do it to meet regulations and then it goes in the record and that's
0: it. As we're having this conversation, I'm wondering if it would be useful for students to receive information on measurements, not just in a research class, but in in their practice class or their community organizing, whatever it is that they do. Mm-hmm to have uh, to have something built in to where you say, okay, so we're talking about depression, we're talking about family therapy, or we're talking about working with people in the community. How would you measure this idea? How would you answer this question? How would you help people to answer this for themselves?
1: The way that we teach measurement is that we teach it in, we, we pull it out of context. And that isn't how people learn. I would. My dream.
0: Yes, be, tell me your dream. My,
1: my dream would be that uh, research, in particular measurement, would be integrated into all classes in social work uh, so that people in the clinical tracts are learning about measurement as part of evidence based practices, that it becomes part of their language, that in community organizing, that the measurement piece is part of the the classes, the curriculum, and just not a separate research class. That in administration, that people are talking about and using assessments of burnout or um, secondary trauma, etc. That it becomes not pulled out of context, but integrated into those classes. That would be my dream.
0: I, I, I think that's a very reasonable <laughs> dream to have. I know that in the practice theories course that I taught at the University of Pittsburgh, the, um, we, we, in, we incorporated uh, some of Scott Miller's scales, uh, outcome mm-hmm. rating scale, um, and, and, and the session rating mm-hmm. scale, and students were really excited about that. They mm-hmm. really found it, uh, I think, reassuring mm-hmm. to know that they can administer a, a four-item scale at the beginning of a session at the end of a session every couple sessions gather data be able to explain it to their uh clients have their clients provide feedback and 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 sort of engage in that uh sort of scientist practitioner model uh and 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 it it Mm -hmm. fit it wasn't something that was like oh no okay wait didn't i take my research class already it really fit and 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 I think it enhanced Mm -hmm. the practice theory course.
1: And I think it could be a natural enhancement of classes about supervision, uh, administration, um, just not in in your clinical classes, in your community organizing classes, uh, uh, social theory. Um, Sometimes social workers come into the foundations of research class that I teach and and they say, well, you know, I'm really not a researcher. Um, This has me very anxious. And um, I hope at the end of the class that people leave with a real sense of excitement about the fact that they do research all the time. That they can. It's not separate, something that's done to them, or they bring someone else in to do. But they do it uh, in the process of working with people, as you just described through Scott Miller's work, or if they're super, if they're supervisors as social workers often are, and they're working with. Um, with new uh, therapists or new clinicians, that they can do the same kind of process with their supervisees, you know, in terms of assessing how the supervision process is going, what they're learning, what they're not, where they need help, that, you know, that this doesn't perhaps need to stand up to the same level of scientific scrutiny. For example, if they were doing it for another purpose, but for the purpose they're doing, it works, it makes sense. And most importantly, they come out with the ability to do that from a school social work.
0: I think one of the challenges then to using measurement in the field as we're having this conversation is because because students don't leave having studied 10 or 15 different scales or Mm -hmm. they don't have... Uh, in their back pocket, a couple of things they can pull out that they're really comfortable with. Uh, the question is out of the millions of scales that are out there how do you how do you know where to get them how do you how do you know which ones to use how do you even know what's available um, and and you talked briefly about some resources, but do you have other ideas for resources and 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 places that uh, social workers can go to, to to not just learn more about measurement, but to to find some measures that they can use in their own practice or uh, in the community. Yes,
1: well, there's always a, a great resource book called Measures for Clinical Practice by Corcoran and Fisher, and I believe they're on their third edition, uh, might even be fourth at this point. And that is and
0: that's that, through Oxford University Press. Yes. it used to be through Free Press, but they, right, they, they changed yes. the publishers. Right.
1: So, uh, you know, I'd like to think that every um, nonprofit might have a copy of this, but I know that isn't always true. But that's a great resource to go to. I mentioned the book earlier, The Use of Psychological Testing for Treatment Planning and Outcomes, edited by Mark Marouche. We'll put the the link to that. That's uh, relatively recent, 2004. Also, I think a great resource for people is actually the Internet. Now, again, lots of stuff out there that you want to stay away from. So it's, it's really a mixed bag. But if you use something uh, like, say, Google Scholar, and you begin to search that way. So say you're interested in trying to find a good measure of, oh, I don't know. Um, social support. Social support. Well, you can type that in and then you'll start to get some, uh, you know, some citations. Now, many people in practice settings don't have access to electronic databases the way we do at the univers- if you're sitting at a university. so th- I know that myself having worked in a practice setting. So what do you do? You can't necessarily get the PDF of that article that you're interested in. Well, oftentimes in the abstract, they'll have the emails of the authors. I've been I encourage people to email uh, the authors and say I'm very interested in what you've written about in this article I can't easily access a copy of it, but I wonder if you could send it to me or tell me more about your measure of social support. I find that people are remarkably generous with their time in doing this. I get many requests for things like the Roles or or the R-E-M-Y, and I'm really glad to respond to people, to tell them where to go, to send them articles, copies, and so there's a whole community. The great thing about the Internet, I believe, for measurement purposes, it has opened the community up a little bit, so that you don't need to necessarily go to a reference book although those are great resources but that you can if you're sitting in an office in you know Clarion Pennsylvania and you're not well actually you're close to the university there all right another city someplace in the middle of <laughs> Pennsylvania without access to a university library that you can use the internet to connect you to a community of people who know about this and who can advise you I, I use when I was working in a practice setting as I mentioned in a, as director of research, I, I depended on colleagues a great deal to help me out. Uh, and so we would use email. And oftentimes there are listservs that you can go on. Um, you can belong, and it doesn't cost anything to, and people send emails out all the time, hey, could you give me, does anyone know of a really, a good measure with some psychometric properties, validity, or liability about social support? And then people say, check out such and such. So it takes time, but I believe the internet has really created a community for people that we didn't have before. So I would always check the classic sources, some, something like Corcoran and Fisher, but then I would also um, search using something like Google Scholar or um, uh, PubMed, uh, pub, which is free.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the government. Government,
1: yeah. right. Um, to uh, start to type in some general search terms narrow from there and see if you can find the names of people or access to free articles. They're out there.
0: I, I think that's that's great. And we can put a link to Google Scholar and PubMed and uh, the books that you mentioned. And um, uh, I, one thing that I did before I went back uh, to get my Ph.D. was I was still in contact with my professors. And so I'd send them an email or I'd call them and I'd say, hey, what about this? And, of course, it's easy for them, mm-hmm. especially now, although it was less easy back then. It's really easy now because almost everything is a PDF file. And they can say, "Okay, great. Well, you know, here's the PDF file." So,
1: absolutely, I get emails all the time from students, particularly over when I've taught overseas in Portugal. I just got an email last week saying we really are interested in a measure of developmental changes for children, and um, we know it won't be in Portuguese. But you, could you, you know, send us some articles in English that might point us in the right direction? So. Uh, i um I respond to those emails all the time, so yes, people sh- keep the emails of your professors and <laughs> send them emails uh, about you know once you 're in practice. these are really good connections to keep up and um Social work professors are always happy to, I believe, to continue to respond to people for requests because I want my goal when people leave a foundations of research classes for them to incorporate this into their practice. And so I will support that in any way when they leave. And so I've been known to um, do that a lot, send articles, find the PDF files for people and email them to them. Um, so that they can do this, so that perhaps lack of access to electronic database doesn't hold them back from doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds very generous. Um, you know, I didn't have any other questions about measurement. Uh, are there any other uh, hot topics that, that 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 you think would be important for social workers to know about measurement that we haven't touched on yet? And if not, that's okay.
1: My last comment, Jonathan would would be that measurement is important for social work. Once again, we often think it's the domain of of psychologists, um, but the fact is that measurement can be used against people, uh, or it can be a a force for social justice, which is important for social work. And so uh, I think it's important for social workers to be concerned about measurement and how it's used, and to um, to realize that it's just simply not the domain of certain specialists, but rather it belongs to the field as well, the field of social work. And for us to be concerned about how certain things are measured and sometimes how they're used, for example, IQ that's a, a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, um, but for us not to believe that measurement is simply the domain of research and not um, areas that are traditionally associated with social work justice, um, community, etc.
0: You know, and as you said that, it made me think that people in the field typically do not develop the measures, even though they might be consulted Mm -hmm. by those who do. But there are a number of measures that are developed ostensibly Mm -hmm. for the field. And so it sounds like one of the um, ways that social workers can think about it is if I really want to 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 make an impact on this measure, I need to actually use it and give feedback. I can't just say, well, I didn't develop. It was developed in an ivory tower, so therefore it has nothing to do with me. But rather to say, you know what? I have to use this. I'm going to let them know what I think.
1: Exactly.
0: This doesn't work. It's 113 items. Right,
1: right. Uh, Email, uh, call, (laughs) send letters. Uh, Absolutely. Because something... measures should be revised if they're not working then the we need to know about it and so there needs to be feedback it just doesn't go out in a journal and that's it it's it's the gold standard forever so yes people should feel free to contact the developers to talk about it and the other thing is even though i am encouraged people not to create their own measures i would tell you that you can do it and you can do it in a collaborative environment. So if you're out working in the field and you really see a need for something, I would encourage you to try to find other collaborators, including some people in universities, perhaps faculty that you've worked with in the past in your program, to work together. For I mentioned in the earlier podcast, the REMY, that wasn't developed out of a university. That was developed by five practitioner researchers. <laughs> Uh, who, work in commu- who work in provider settings. Casey Family Programs, Presley Ridge, Girls and Boys Town. Um, so it was developed out of, with working in conjunction with some people from George Washington University, so, and with the University of Washington. So you can see it was, I'd like to see more practitioners saying, hey, we really need a new measure of such and such, and working together. I might add, actually without a budget, it was all in-kind. So it wasn't like you need a lot of money. You just need time and expert and and help. so while i'm I'm not suggesting that every practitioner go out and try to measure something, I will tell you that it can be done. And so not to be you know close to that possibility.
0: And And you're actually talking about a uh, a measure, an instrument that um, could be used outside of the specific setting in which it was developed. You're actually talking about developing something with good psychometric properties and things like that, which is different mm-hmm. than creating um, the kinds of scales that Insu Kimberg talks about in Solution focused Treatment where you say, okay, so mom, tell me about what's going on with you. Okay, so on a scale of one to 10, this is your own personal scale that's just for you. So those are two different types right. of scales.
1: exactly, and you can use, they both are, they both have, they're both um, useful. You have great utility. They're for slightly different purposes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The purpose is different. But yes, you can do both in, in a practice setting. And so uh, social workers should also consider the fact that while they can do something that is unique, perhaps to one client or one situation, working in collaboration, they can also create something that has a different purpose and, has, and can go on to to create the body of knowledge that, that validates that tool. So we can do it all, Jonathan. We can do everything. <laughs> We're social workers.
0: All right. <laughs> well, Mary, thanks so much for talking with us today about uh, measurement. It was, it was a real pleasure.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It was wonderful. Thanks.
0: Um, I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast.